Good evening. It is a pleasure and a privilege to be with you here again. Our uh, Old Covenant reading tonight comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. If you would like to turn there with me. Proverbs 3, beginning at verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. This is a father, the son, in whom he delights. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. One more verse. She is the tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. God's word from the Old Testament, and then from the New Testament, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 again. We read this this morning. We'll read this again tonight, and it's God's word to us once again as we look at this topic of adoption. Ephesians Chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purchased in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, the reading of God's Word. Our sermon text tonight comes from 1 John. There are lots of uh, different texts that describe our adoption in Christ. and We have read several of them uh, this morning as well as this evening. But in 1 John chapter 3, I want to read just the, the first uh, three verses here. Uh, we will do a little exposition tonight into these verses as well. But again, let's hear the word of God. Behold, remember that means pay attention, look. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he 
is pure. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful to once again on this Lord's Day to gather together to hear your word. What a powerful word it is. Bring it to our hearts and souls this evening, Lord. Help us to rejoice in God our Savior, in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, in this great salvation that is ours through the great work of grace that you have done in our hearts and souls. Lord, this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved people of God, I, I brought this uh, short series on the doctrine of adoption because uh, I think this is one of the most important doctrines that uh, God has blessed us with in our salvation in Christ. But the problem is that we often do not think about what it means to be a child of God, even though adoption has enormous benefits for us when we consider what God has done for us in our salvation in Christ. The doctrine of adoption, it will help us. It will help us through many of the difficulties of this life. It will prepare us for whatever the Lord has in store for us, whatever he brings our way. It will help us with whatever's coming. Now this morning we looked at the transforming power of the doctrine of adoption. And you might remember adoption is the grace of God in our lives that takes us from being sinners, from being outcasts, to being children of God, as well as being heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. There, there is no greater transformation, or, or we might even say, there is no greater exaltation that you and I can experience than to be brought from the very depths of hell as a child of wrath and brought to the glories of heaven as a child of God. There's nothing greater than that. Because, of course, that's what we deserve, wasn't it? We were children of wrath. Deserving eternity in hell, when God in his grace touched our hearts, he drew us irresistibly to himself. He showered down upon us his grace and his mercy. He gave us, the, gave us the gift of faith. And when we turned to him in repentance, humbly confessing our sins, he not only forgave us, he brought us into his family. And not to be slaves, but to be his only dearly loved children. And why did he do this? Well, the reason that I brought out this morning is found in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Because the Father loved us just as he loved his only begotten Son. Again, I would ask you, can, can you even imagine such a thing? You know, Jesus says there in that prayer, you have loved them as you've loved me. And so this is truly all of grace. It's not something we are owed. It's not something we earn. It's the grace of God to us. To be a child of God. Now, of course, you can't be adopted into the family of God without it having an effect upon your life. There, there's a transforming work of God in us, and that will show itself in our lives. So, so how do you know that this is true? How do you know it's true of you that you're a child of God? You know, if we examine ourselves biblically, that's something we really should do from time to time. We should see certain marks that show uh, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we are now children of God. Uh, William Perkins gives six marks that I'm going to give you here that might help us recognize that adoption in, that is ours in Christ. And, and we should ask ourselves, ask yourself as you listen to this with me, um, 
Are these marks in my life? Do I see these evidences in my life? First of all, there should be an earnest and hearty desire in all things to further the glory of God. That should be our aim. That's our chief end, right? Second, there is, there is to be a care and a readiness to submit ourselves to God. That is, we want to be ruled by His Word and Spirit. And we want to do so in thought, word, and deed. Third, there's a sincere desire to do God's will in all things. Here's the tough part for us. With cheerfulness. You know, make it a conscious effort to, to cast off everything that we know to be evil. So that we can run with endurance that race that's been set before us. That should be the desire of our hearts. Fourth, we will walk uprightly in our calling, the lawful callings that God has given us. And yet by faith, we will still, even as we're walking lawfully, we will still rely upon God's providence, being well pleased with whatever God brings our way. And fifth, there will be kind of a, a daily humbling of ourselves before God, for our sins. We will seek His favor in Christ sincerely. There's a daily renewing of our faith and our repentance before God. And in six, this is the sixth one here that he gives us. And we know this to be true. There, there's going to be within our lives this continual battle between the flesh and the spirit. That our still residing sin that will pull us one way. But the good news is the grace of our God in Christ will resist and pull us the other way. And we should see these things in our life. These are all marks, little evidences of our adoption in Christ. So tonight what I want to do is kind of look at this second part of this great doctrine of adoption. And I want to look at the great comfort that you and I find as believers in Christ for us. Knowing that we are children of God. So the theme is basically the same. That the doctrine of adoption offers transforming power and great comfort uh, to us as the children of God. This morning we looked at the transforming power of that doctrine of adoption. We looked at the greatness, the definition, the power. Tonight, it's a little different. We're going to look at the great comfort of the doctrine of adoption. We're going to look at the benefits of our adoption in Christ, the responsibilities of our adoption in Christ, and then the application of our adoption in Christ. So, so let's begin by looking at the benefits. I think we're going to spend probably the bulk of our time here. But we need to realize... That personal adoption into God's family, that it will impact our entire life, the entire life of a believer. Because what's going to happen is every relationship in your life is going to be transformed by your adoption. And we see that spelled out in the text this evening in 1 John 3. The first thing that we find is our relationship with God is transformed by our adoption. Of course, 1 John Verse 3, the first part of verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. So you and I, we, we find our assurance in being members of the household of God. God's fatherhood, his love for us as his children, that's kind of like our security blanket, right? It gives us comfort, it gives us peace, it gives us joy, even in spite of our shortcomings, even in spite of our failures. Cotton Mather put it this way, Surely I'm not a child of God, because I find much pride in my heart and much rebellion and corruption in my spirit. Surely if I were born of Christ, I should be like him. Ever feel like that? Well, Cotton continues, 
But what says St. John here? We are the sons of God even now. Though there is much unbelief in our hearts and much weakness and many corruptions within us. That's the life of the believer. Think of that. Despite all of our indwelling sin, which we won't be rid of until we're in glory, Jesus tells us that our Heavenly Father's love for us is far greater, it's far more glorious than we can even imagine. He loves us as His children. He knows what we are. Second, not only is our relationship with God, our Father, changed, but our relationship to the world has been transformed by our adoption into God's family. The last part of verse 1 in, in 1 John 3. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Uh, to put it plainly, the world's rejection of us is one of the evidences of God's adoption of us. Again, Cotton Mather puts it very well. He said, if God saw it meet, that means if he saw it proper, if he saw it fitting, that his son should be thus afflicted in the world and drink of such a bitter portion of God's wrath, let us not think that we shall go to heaven and partake of those heavenly mansions which Christ had prepared for us without also drinking of the same cup that he drank. Let us account ourselves happy that God will so esteem us as to make us his sons, to make us like Christ, to suffer with him. And so we are truly blessed to follow in the footsteps of our Savior, even in his sufferings. Third, our relationship to the future has been transformed by our adoption as well. Look at verse 2 of the text, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As those who are in Christ, as those who are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, as those who are children in the family of God, our prospects, our expectations are beyond our imagination. They're great. They're fantastic. Because we have been promised a glorious inheritance, which is yet to come. I mean, you and I, we can't even imagine the extent of such an inheritance that is ours in Christ. I can't even imagine. But, but here's the question. Why does God keep our inheritance hidden now? Why don't we get it right now? Well, th there are several good reasons that I came across. Uh, first of all, so that we might be like our suffering head, our Lord Jesus Christ, as we've already mentioned here, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. One of the things we learn as Christians is that suffering comes before glory. Not just for our Savior, but for us. Second, the reason we don't get this right now is so that we might live by faith and not by sight. And therefore we would be, we are called to be watchful, right? As we wait for that which is to come. And then third, I thought this was very interesting. The reason we're not giving everything right now so that we might be tolerated in this world. Because if God should make us perfectly holy in this world, you can be sure of one thing, that the people of this world would not suffer us to live long among them. They just wouldn't. But there's more. 
there's a fourth change. It's not only a change in our relationship with God, not only a change in our relationship with the world, not only a change in the future, but even our relationship to ourselves is transformed by our adoption into the family of God. Again, now we're going to get down to verse 3. 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope within himself, this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. The hope that you and I have in Christ is that one day we will be like him when he comes in great power to judge the living and the dead. And this is a hope that you and I have. It's a patient hope. It's a certain hope. It's a grounded hope, grounded upon the word of God, that all of the promises in Christ, which we in faith believe, those promises belong to us. And so God gives us this hope through the means of grace, through the the word of God and the sacraments and prayer, so that you and I might not be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and in the cunning discraftiness of deceitful plotting. So we are called to purify ourselves. We do so daily. And we use Christ as our pattern. This, of course, will involve the, the whole man, and it's going to involve all that we are, our minds, our affections, our wills, our thoughts, our tongues, our eyes, our ears, our hands, all that we are, all that we do, all that we go through in this life. Because you know something? Even our disappointments, even our sorrows, even our trials, even the enemies that we come across in this life, they are part of God's plan for our purification, for our sanctification. Think about that. The last transformation of relationship here is to the church, is the family of God. That is also transformed. You and I were once without Christ. We were outsiders, aliens of the commonwealth, strangers to the covenants, without hope and without God in this world. It doesn't get any worse than that. And yet now we've been placed into a great family. You know, if we we really understood this new relationship that is ours in the church of Christ, in the body of Christ, if we understood this relationship as we should, our attitude would be transformed toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, even more than it is. The Apostle John's going to say this same thing later on in chapter 3 of his first epistle here, uh, beginning at verse 14. We know that we've passed from death to life because what? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in needs and shuts his heart from him, shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but indeed in truth. So the children of God, our fellow believers, are the people whom we are to love, whom we are to delight in. Listen, listen how the Apostle Paul describes his brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippians the very first verse of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. 
even repeats beloved again, doesn't he? And we who have been adopted into the family of God are to love those who have also been adopted into the same family with us. Because we have experienced so much love from our Savior, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, we cannot help but love others. And especially we are to love those who are the household of faith. Actually, Cotton Mather puts it rather bluntly here. He says, The lack of love to any of our brethren is a sign of abiding in a state of damnation or in an unregenerate and carnal state. And I think Apostle John agrees with him, 1 John 4.20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Let me give you some specific blessings that are now ours as those who've been adopted into the family of God. As we uh, heard this morning, our Father cuts us off from the family to which we naturally belong to in Adam as children of wrath and of the devil. And he takes us and he grafts us into his own family to make us members of his covenant family. Adoption translates us from this miserable estate of sin and misery into the glorious and wonderful state of the children of the Most High God, and He does so forever. As Jesus puts it in John 8.35, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Second, our God gives us the freedom to call Him Father. And in fact, He even gives us a new name which serves as our guarantee of admission into the house of God as children of God. Our, our old name is laid aside. We, we are not what we were. And we are given a new name, as Jesus says in Revelation 2.17. By the spirit of adoption, we now have access to God. We are able to come into our reconciled Father through Christ, through His blood, has opened up that new way where we can boldly come. In fact, Beloved, just think on the fact that you have the liberty, you have the freedom to call the Most High God your Father. And when you think about it, that in itself is worth like a, a thousand worlds. How do you put a value on that? God, the creator of all things. God who just spoke and by the word of his power created everything. Says you are his child and he is your Father. Third, our, God as our Father gives us, and, and really we, we should probably say God gifts to us the spirit of adoption to dwell within us. By grace, we as believers in Christ, we're now made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit comes to us, He enlightens our minds, He sanctifies our hearts, He's the one who makes God's will and His wisdom known to us in His Word. He's the one who guides us to eternal life, who applies to our lives the entire work of salvation, and seals us, seals that salvation to us until the day of redemption. And when you think about it, that's what Jesus said, wasn't it? It's for your good that I go away. Because he sends the Spirit. And what a great gift the Spirit of God is to us, who ratifies our sonship to be immutable. It's unchangeable. He confirms our title, our right to all the privileges of the sons of God, to all the promises of God, so that those are irreversible. They can't be changed. 
ever. Fourth, our, our Father grants us likeness to himself and to his son. You see, we're, we're not only brought into the family, we are being made like the family. We're being made like our Father. We're given a new heart. We're given a new disposition that resembles our God and Father. Because all of God's children bear the image of their Father. And then fifth, our Father especially strengthens our faith through those gifts that he gives us, through his promises, through prayer. Watson puts it this way. Thomas Watson says that if we are adopted into God's family, then we have an interest in all the promises. They, they belong to us because the promises of God are the children's bread. That's what he gives us. It's as if God is pouring out his bag of gold at our feet. This is what Watson said. And he says, here it is. It's here for you. Take what you want of all of his promises. And so the Spirit enlivens our faith, enables us to go to God as our Father. And, and based upon that claim of sonship, that we can actually believingly plead with him for acceptance. And not just acceptance for ourselves, but acceptance for our prayers. We can ask him to grant our requests and supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ. So we're up to the sixth point here of these blessings. And, and this is probably a blessing we would say, well, I'm not so sure I like this one. But this is a blessing as well. It's one we desperately need. Our Father corrects us and chastens us for our sanctification. And so this, again, is God's promise to us as our loving Heavenly Father. As it says in Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. All discipline in our life comes from the hand of our Father who works all things together for our good. Uh, John Owen said it this way, Our sufferings are for our education and instruction in the family in his family. So all of our afflictions, all of the trials that we go through, those are really helps toward heaven. Now we may foolishly think otherwise, but of course the scripture teaches us differently. 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord and we may not be condemned with the world. So that, there's your two choices. Well, you want to be chastened by the Lord or you want to be condemned with the world? This one of God, it's, and you think about it, it's really a badge of our sonship. It's, it's a badge of God's fatherly love of us when he disciplines us. I'm, I'm sure you know those verses in Hebrews 12. I'm going to read a few of them anyway. Uh, and it's quoting from Proverbs that we read earlier. If you, endure under, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And if, you're not, and if you are without chasing, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
John Owen put it this way, there is no chastisement in heaven nor in hell. Not in heaven because there's no sin. Not in hell because there, are no, there is no amendment. In other words, hell is not discipline. Hell is punishment. It's God's wrath. And so remember, our Father, He only disciplines us for our good. He only does so for our sanctification. And yet the day is coming when it will be no more. We won't need that anymore. Let me give you two more blessings here. I used to, I used to tell my, <laughs> I used to tell my congregation, when you read through the Puritans, they always keep going on with point after point after point. And I remember reading eleventhly. I never heard that word before. Eleventhly, right? And I've never gotten that far. So, <laughs> but seventh. This is our seventh point here. We're getting close. Our Father preserves us, and He keeps us from fall. Think about that. That's a blessing. Our Father restores us from every backsliding way. He re- helps us to recover. He humbles us. You know, Psalm 91.11, that's a verse I think we all know because Satan tried to use it against Jesus, right? But it, it truly applies to us just as it did to Christ, even though the devil was trying to use it in the wrong way. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. That's what God does. He keeps us. Uh, in fact, First, uh, first Peter Chapter 1, verse 5 says that we are kept. It's in, and it says, not by our own power, right? It doesn't say that. We are kept by the power of God. The Almighty God of heaven and earth keeps us. And when you think about it, as children of God, we're just like little toddlers. Always running around, tripping and stumbling and falling down. And really, we are so weak that we could never even get up if it were not for our Heavenly Father's care of us as His adopted and dearly loved children, He picks us up. His his hand is always upon us. And as it says, and underneath are what? The everlasting arms. And what great comfort that is for us. Yes, we fall down. But God picks us up. He helps us. He's always there for us. So the eighth and last benefit that I'm going to bring here of our adoption is that everything that you and I need as God's children, both physically and spiritually, everything you and I need is provided for us, and our God protects us from all harm. We're taught in Psalm 3410, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. You notice he doesn't say you're not going to lack anything. We may lack some things, but we will never lack anything that the Father deems to be for our good, for our eternal good. And so we can leave everything safely in our loving Heavenly Father's hands because we know that He will never leave us nor forsake us. No one, think about it, no one is better taken care of than God's children. No one is better taken care of than you as an adopted child of God. Never forget that. He takes care of. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The next point, our second point for this evening, is that our privileges and our blessings as children of God also translate to our responsibilities as those who are children of God. I'm reminded of that verse in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. We're told to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? 
For it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so God's sovereignty in adopting us as his children, that does not negate our responsibility to live for him each day in a way that brings glory and honor to him. So here are some ways that you know we show our love. And we show our devotion, we show our thankfulness to God for this great work that he has done, this great work of grace in adopting us into his family through the work of his blessed son, which is given to us by his spirit. First responsibility, let us show a childlike reverence and love for our father in everything. You and I, we should really meditate habitually on our father's great glory, on his majesty. When we think of God, we should be in awe of Him. We should render Him praise. We should give thanks to Him in all things. You know, growing up as children, our parents didn't see and know everything that we did, but that's not the case with our Heavenly Father. There, there is nothing done in secret that He does not see. There's nothing that goes on in our hearts that He doesn't know. He knows how we pray, and whether we're being parrots or whether we're being sincere. He, lists, he knows how we listen when the word is preached or when we read the word. He knows how we do everything, right? Remember those words in Hebrews 4, 13? All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Or the words of the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 1, 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. God's an impartial judge. So let your childlike reverence overflow in your love for your Heavenly Father, a, a love that compels you to use all the means of grace that you want and you will try to do His commandments. You try to serve Him with what you are, with what He's given you. Jeremiah Burroughs put it this way. Do all that you do out of love. Be not mercenary. A servant does not care to do anything further than he may be paid for. But a child does not do so. He does what he does out of love. Think of that. Out of love. Childlike reverence, love for your heavenly father is your first responsibility. Second responsibility. You're a child of God. Submit to your heavenly Father in every providence. Now we're good reform people, right? We we know and we believe that our God works all things together for our good. We know and we believe that no good thing will He withhold from us as His child. And so, even when the circumstances of this life, even when those don't go the way that you think they should. You should still submit to your Father's will with childlike submission and love. Don't murmur. Don't resist Him. Don't say, well, you know, God, if you were my Father, I'm really your child. Why don't you just treat me better than this? Your Heavenly Father always knows what is best for you. Always. Just as I read earlier in Hebrews 12, our, our Heavenly Father's chastened us it says, as seemed best to them, right? And they didn't always get it right. You can ask my kids. <laughs> but not so our Heavenly Father, who disciplines us for our profit, 
that we may be partakers of his holiness. And though it may not be pleasant at the time, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been praying by it. It is always fitting, it is always Christ-like to be quiet, to be humble, to submit to whatever the Lord brings our way, and to cheerfully bear it. Because you and I know we're not always the best child, are we? But God is always the best father. Always. Our third responsibility as children of God is to obey and imitate our father. And I'm combining this with another one. And to love his image bearers. Those who bear his image. You know, we are to strive to be like our heavenly father. We're called to be holy because he is holy. We're to be loving because he is loving. The apostle commands us in Ephesians 5, 1, Therefore be imitators of God as what? As dear children. And so we are to show our families, we're to show our fellow believers, we're to show the world around us our family likeness to our Heavenly Father. And so we should love that image of the Father wherever we find it, in whomever we we are to live as God's children in mutual love and patience with one another. Because you guess what? We all have the same father. We all have the same elder brother. We all have the same indwelling spirit. We're brothers and sisters with all who are in Christ. You know, it's, it's really enough that the, the children of this world fight with one another. Let not those who profess God as their father, let not us in the presence of our father fight with one another. For certainly the Spirit of God cannot bear it. Remember the words of the Apostle John in this regard from 1 John 2, verses 9 through 11. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness. And he does not know where he's going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Our fourth responsibility. Let us cast off every hindrance. Every hindrance that would keep us from rejoicing. In this adoptive grace that the Father has showered down upon us in Christ. And by this. I would add. We're to cast off all murmuring against God, against his children, which is often against those who, who serve him and who serve us. We have that example of the children of Israel in the Old Testament when they murmured against God and they murmured against Moses. I think we have a natural tendency as fallen humans to delight in complaining. And of course, that's not serving the Lord, that's serving sin, that's serving self, that's serving Satan. So rather let us keep doing those things, those Christian duties that you and I know we need so much so that we can maintain our walk, so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. We should realize that none of us, none of us have arrived in this life. We are all called to press on to the goal. So let's press on that we may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. Let us forget those things which are behind and keep reaching forward to those things which are ahead. 
Let us press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to keep pressing on. Keep growing in our faith. Keep growing in our imitation of our Savior. So these are the responsibilities as those who have been adopted in the family of God as His dear children. Let's show a, a childlike reverence and love for our Father in everything. Let's submit to our Heavenly Father in every providence. Let's obey and imitate our Father and love His image bearers. And let's cast off every hindrance, every sin that keeps us from rejoicing in the Father's adopted grace to us in Christ. Now let me bring this to a conclusion. Just a, a few more thoughts here. A few more thoughts of application about our adoption into the family. Let's realize there, there is much comfort that we find in the doctrine of adoption. Our adoption in Christ helps us to, to better grasp the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the one who conforms us to the image of Christ. Our adoption helps us to understand better the power of the gospel in bringing sinners out of the kingdom of Satan and bringing them into the kingdom of God's own dear Son. Our adoption helps us to appreciate the assurance of our faith in the Lord, to, to comprehend our oneness with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to give ourselves an assurance, a hope, in the glory of the inheritance that is ours in Christ. It does all of those things. That's part of the application of the doctrine of adoption. But let me also remind you that there is a danger of not being a member of the family of God, of remaining a member of the family of Satan. It's a, it's a reminder to us. How many times have you heard the gospel call on your life? How many times has it sounded in your ears and yet you have not responded to the message of God's God, grace to you in Christ? And what's the result? If, if you've not repented and believed, if your life does not show a likeness to the family of God, then you're still a member of the family of Satan. And therefore, you're not an heir of God. You're not a joint heir with Christ. Rather, you're an heir of hell and of wrath. And you might say, well, that's not me. Not me. But the question here is, whose image do you bear? You always bear the image of your Father. Holiness is God's image. Unholiness is the devil's. A dark heart, an unholy life, will plainly tell which family you belong to. So, so do not let another day go by without pleading with God to forgive you of your many sins, to take you into his family as his own dear child. He is a loving heavenly father who promises to receive all who come to him in humble repentance. Jesus said, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And also, beloved, as dear children of God, let me remind you that as a child of the king, you have so much to be thankful for. You know, the, the truth about this doctrine of adoption is that it brings so much comfort to God's needy children. And we are needy, aren't we? Adoption comforts us in the face of the many trials and the tribulations that we go through in this life. You know, the sense of our own unworthiness, the contempt of the world against us, the afflictions and dangers that are all around us, they can often be overwhelming. We're opposed by sin and we're buffeted by Satan. We're tempted by evil. We may even fear death. Where do we find refuge? Where do we find comfort? 
Where do we find joy? Where do we find peace? There's only one place. And that's in our precious Heavenly Father who loves us dearly and faithfully and fully. We're His children. And there's nothing that He will not do for us, for our good, for our eternal good. Always and forever is His promise. I mean, we can truly say and we can truly believe if God be for us, who can be against us? Let me close here with this quote from a, a, the Puritan Samuel Willard. I'd never heard of Samuel Willard until uh, I did this study. His dates are like 1640 to 1707. Uh, but he said this, Be always comforting yourselves with the thoughts of your adoption. Draw your comforts at this tap. Fetch your consolations from this relation. Be therefore often chewing upon the precious privileges of it. In other words, meditate on your adoption in Christ. And make them your rejoicing. Let this joy outstrip the lushness of every other joy. Let this joy dispel the midst of every sorrow. And clear up your souls in the midst of all troubles and difficulties as you wait heavenly glory where you will live out your perfect adoption by forever communing with the triune God. There you will dwell at the fountain and you will swim forever in those bankless and bottomless oceans of God's glory. Beloved, all this is yours because of your wondrous and gracious adoption into the family of God. It is as the text says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, once more we are humbled at your love for us, at your great work of salvation, that you would take such a lump of clay and sin and make it your heir that you would bring us to yourself not just saving us from hell but bestowing upon us your love, your grace making us your children rejoicing in us how can we not rejoice in you how can we not stand in awe of all that you've done Truly there is none like our God. A God of grace and mercy. A God of power. A God who will work all things together for our good. For our eternal good. And we pray Lord that you would do so. To glorify yourself. To glorify your son. To glorify your spirit. Your great work. For the children of men. Work in us Lord. Help us to rest in you. And to find in you our all in all. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.